All right. What are you guys learning about? This is part two of your new series. Did you answer? And I just missed it. Oh, <laughs> we did learn about that for a moment. We are not in Psalms. <laughs> we were in Proverbs for a while. We were in Psalms on Sunday mornings for a while. Wow. Wow. We're, we're in Romans. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hmm? Oh, yeah, you looked at maps. What's significant about the map? Paul? Who's Paul? Why do we always talk about Paul? Well, not always, but it seems like we talked about him a lot. He is very smart, right? How many books of the Bible do you think he wrote? Uh, he wrote basically half of the like, New Testament. It's like 11, 11, at least 11, if not more. All right. Um, so we're talking about this Gaul guy, Paul, not Gaul Pie. Uh, so why is this book, the letter to the Romans, different than... Uh, some of his other books. Because all of his other letter books, I guess, mm -hmm. are letters back to check on how they're doing. But for this one, he hadn't been to Rome yet, and he wanted to go. So he wrote a letter to Rome. That was yeah, excellent. That's perfect. So why does he want to go to Rome? He wants to see Caesar. Right? He ended up appealing to Caesar for a trial, right? And so that's how he gets to go and talk to Caesar. Um, and why does he want to see Caesar? Caesar's important. Who's Caesar? I don't know. Is, is that the salad guy? <laughs> He's the emperor of Rome. Basically, much of the known world, or the Western world, right, is under... Caesar's control. So if he can talk to Caesar, then he can spread the gospel, right? Uh, speaking of gospel, what's the gospel? It's another thing you guys talked about. Story of Jesus. From? From before birth to after death and in Excellent. So what is, give me a quick synopsis then. <laughs> and then he, and then he, then he was killed, and then he came back to life and talked to some people, and then he's gonna come back. He's coming again. All right. Uh, so Paul sends this letter before he even gets to Rome, and he starts off in chapter one, uh, pretty dark, right? He's given that overview of the human condition. Levi summed it up. Uh, into one word. Do you remember what it was? Wow. 
Human nature is to blank God. Rebel. So it was defy, but rebel is close. I'll give it to you. All right. So he's talking about uh, human nature is to defy God. Um, but he starts off with letting the cat out of the bag, as Levi put it, right? We have this ability, we have power to overcome that human nature. Uh, And what is that power? If you want, you can go back to chapter 1, verse 16 for the answer. to overcome our human nature is the gospel, all right? And that's where he's starting. But after that, he's going to kind of go through human nature and kind of talk about some types of people that, uh, you know, he's, he's seeing throughout the world and give this kind of overview before he, you know, as he starts this book. So we're going to go through chapter 2 today and look at a second type of person. Yesterday you took looked at people who defy God, or last week, and today we're going to look at a second type of person. But first, uh, Natalia, can you read Romans chapter 1, verse 20 for me? What does this mean? Hmm? 20. What does that verse mean? This is technically still review, guys. Paul is tough. He's pretty wordy. You guys are smarter, though. Smart enough, for sure. What this verse means is that God's creation is enough evidence. Right? You remember talking about this? If you go outside and you look around... There is no excuse for you to not say, this world around me was intelligently created, all right? There is a creator who designed everything. Levi talked about a truck finding it in the ground. Remember this conversation? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's what this means. So I just want to put this in our thoughts, all right? God's creation is enough evidence, all right? So everybody is without excuse when it comes Judgment Day and you think about this person who lived on a remote island and never even heard of Jesus, right? That person, too, is without excuse because creation around them is enough to know that God is real, all right? So this week we're talking about a second type of person, Right? So the last week we talked about uh, those who defy God and say, I'm going to do it my own way. This week we're going to talk about uh, a different person, just as bad, I would say, but equally as easily 
a pitfall to fall into. Let's start reading where we left off, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll stop you when I need to. We're in Romans. Wait, Romans chapter what? Two. Okay, verse two? Verse one. Okay, so like I said, we're talking about a second type of person. Uh, I'm going to kind of call it a moralist. Okay. Ever heard this word? All right. Um, so if I told you that verse 1 through 3 kind of starts the def- definition of a moralist, can you maybe infer what a moralist might be? Okay. Someone who says one thing and does it does another. Siege. <laughs> Do you guys maybe? Okay. Can you guys think of maybe an example of somebody? Or, or some action. Somebody who on the outside appears to do all of the right things, but on the inside is corrupt. I mean, probably the best example are the Pharisees, right, who killed Jesus, right? We're talking about this moralist, somebody who's going to, like, follow the, the rules to the letter, but really doesn't have the right things going on in their heart. Um, Have you ever met that type of Christian? Probably. Probably. I don't know. Uh, Someone who on the outside says and does everything right or, you know, holds everybody else to some sort of standard, but on the inside isn't motivated by the love of Jesus. Uh, someone who calls others out but then turns around and does the exact same thing uh, I know someone like this uh, don't worry uh, it's none of, nobody you guys know uh, but one of the saddest things someone has ever told me is that they didn't want to be a Christian because of the bad example that that moralist said they said if, that, if that's what being a Christian is like then I don't want anything to do with it alright So Paul condemns this type of person saying, watch out, right? God's judgment is still coming even though you have this holier-than-thou attitude, right? It's not what being a true Christian is about, right? Paul also gives us a warning. Keep going, verse 4 and 5.
against the day in wrath and revelations of the righteous Okay, so Paul says here that a true relationship with God, one where you are familiar with his kindness and, and forgiveness and patience, you know, you have this deep relationship, should lead you as a Christian to feel the same way about others, right? If you actually understand and know, you know, God loves me despite all of my sins, then you should react to other people the same way. You shouldn't be like, oh, you're doing that wrong, or, uh, you know, just make people feel bad and contend them for their actions, right? We are all sinners, and so we all need that love from God. Instead of feeling that way, a moralist has a hard heart and is impenitent. Do you know what impenitent means? All right, it's an old word, but it means without remorse. They don't feel sorry, all right? And this causes God to be angry, Paul says. Instead of storing up treasures in heaven, a moralist only stores up God's wrath, only to be released at judgment day. That's what those couple verses say. It's a pretty, pretty big deal, right? Uh, let's skip ahead, verse 10 in chapter 2, wherever we left off. Verse 12. For as many have sinned without law, shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged, shall be judged by the law. One more, please. Go ahead. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the Okay, um, so we're talking about the law. We've got Jews and Gentiles going on. Let's put some definitions together so that we can better understand what Paul is saying here. What is the law that Paul is talking about? The what? The Ten Commandments. Okay, Ten Commandments is part of it. Absolutely. talking about uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all right? Those first five books that Moses wrote, all right? It set up the way that the Jews were to run society, has a bunch of laws and rules and, you know, consequences even. Like, if you do this, then this is the consequence, right? So he's referring to that law, okay? And the Ten Commandments are absolutely part of that. Um, what's a Gentile? It's a Christian or follower of Jesus that is not a <clears throat> Partially. So a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. Doesn't necessarily have to be a follower of Christ. All right? Um, you know, some Bibles might even say Greek there uh, because of where... 
Paul is when he writes this. When he says Greeks, he's also referring to Gentiles, essentially anybody who's not part of uh, Abraham's family, right? So uh, speaking of that, why are the Jews set apart? Big theological question for you. Yeah, that's part of it, absolutely. So the point I'm getting at is we have this gospel, right? And the Jews are set apart because they are the ones who brought us the gospels. Right? God picked that family out and said, you're, you're my chosen family. You're going to tell the whole world about what I'm doing. You're going to write the Bible. All right? So Jews are set apart because they brought the word. The word. But if we look at verse 11, what does that say? Okay, so mine says partiality. Depends on how it's translated. Because uh, there's a couple Greek words here. If you look at the original transcription of this. Yep, so what does that mean? Correct, correct. So God is going to treat us all exactly the same even though these Jews are set apart with a special job, all right? And what that means is at the end, when uh, we're all going to be judged the same, all right? At this time, uh, Jews, you know, Jewish rabbis taught that God was going to judge the Gentiles one way and the Jews a different way. Paul nips this right in the bud and says, we're all held to the same standard, all right? You don't get to, just because you brought the law doesn't mean you get special treatment at the end when everybody's judged, all right? So Paul is honing in on his point here about our moralists, okay? Just as what Paul wrote applies to the Jews and Gentiles, uh, what he writes also applies to us today. God is impartial and just, and what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. So what this means for us as Christians, when we go to church, uh, you know, going to church, reading your Bible, saying your prayers, and acting right is not enough. All right? Just because we're Christians, all right, we are held to the same standard. We have to know that God is God. He's our creator, and we have to follow him and have a deep relationship with him. Just going through the motions and doing what you're supposed to do is falling into that pitfall of becoming a moralist, all right? A moralist instead thinks, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and all those other people aren't, so I must be okay. God's going to, I'm for the most part, doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, just like it's not enough for the Jews to just have the law, all right? It's not enough for us as Christians to come to church on Sunday and do what God asks us for half a day and then go back to our everyday lives and say, I'll see you next week. God, right? It has to be a daily act. All right, let's keep reading uh, verse 14, please. Uh, 
So Paul hones in on this definition of what a moralist is and again kind of brings back this thought and hits us from both sides. Remember when we started today, uh, we were started by reading that creation is enough evidence to know that there is a God. All right? So no one can use the excuse of, I didn't know, come judgment day. <clears throat> but us here in this room and others, other Christians like us, because we have God's word, because we've been blessed with the opportunity to learn about God, more is required of us. All right? Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. So we can't simply do what we're supposed to do and not feel anything, not have that relationship. God calls us to be the examples of faith and love wherever we go, every day of the week. Notice how Paul calls it his gospel there at the end of verse 16. When I first read that verse, it kind of caught me off guard. It's like, his gospel? Isn't it Jesus' gospel? But he writes it that way to convey his emotions here. It is Paul's gospel, but it's also mine. It's also yours, all right? Paul is calling us to live in God's word, to own that gospel and let it shine through us. But what happens if we don't? All right, we're going to finish today as Paul uses his example of the Jews of his time to put a nail in the coffin of this moralist definition, all right, and condemn them. So let's read a chunk here starting at verse 17. All right. 
So here's our final definition from Paul of what a legalist is, right? Saying one thing, condemning others for not doing the right thing, but at the same time, not living up to the, the standard that he or she is putting up, all right? Paul goes on to say, make sure you practice what you preach, all right? God's kindness, forgiveness, and patience should flow out of us every day. Otherwise, we risk becoming like the Jews of Paul's time, where people won't want to be Christians because of the way we act, all right? So let's not let that happen. Be a good example. Let your light shine wherever you are. And that's all I have for you guys. Thanks. We'll keep going as we uh, throughout the next couple weeks and uh, see what else Paul has to say.